You are listening to the Practical Islamic Finance Podcast, where we try to help people globally build wealth in a halal way. We hope you find it useful and fun. Anything you hear in this podcast is not to be understood as personalized financial or investment advice and only represents the views of the speaker. Investing entails risk, including loss of principal. Be sure to do your own due diligence before you make any investment decisions. Assalamu alaikum. Here is this week's rundown of the major financial investment and business news. Before I start, my name is Rakan Kiyadli, founder of Practical Islamic Finance, where we help people globally build wealth in a halal way. To follow our portfolios and access exclusive content, consider becoming a member. Link to do so is in the description. And without further ado, let's get started. The first headline from the past week, which I'd like to talk about, is the market basically shrugging off Putin's invasion. The day Putin started his invasion of Ukraine, the markets tanked, then quickly recovered when investors figured out that the sanctions, while detrimental to Russian interests, made a point to leave the Russian energy sector largely untouched. Since investors understand that other than energy prices, There's very little downside impact to cutting Russia off financially from the rest of the world. The markets rebounded. This strong rebound follows weeks of downward market movement in anticipation of Russia's invasion. Typically, when fear grips the markets in anticipation of an event like this, it tends to turn out not as bad as was feared. That is, the journey to the event often proves a lot more painful on the markets than the event itself. Partly encouraged by the resilience of major financial markets, the West added to their sanctions against Russia by taking the decision to cut some Russian banks from the SWIFT network. SWIFT, or the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, is a network used by banks to send secure messages about transfers of money and other transactions. To understand what being banned from the SWIFT network actually means, imagine all your family members are using PayPal to make or receive payments from one another. If you get banned from PayPal, every time you want to make or receive a payment from one of your family members, you have to reach out to them individually, try to see what other applications they may have an account with. Maybe they can try out China Pal, but they've never heard of them or it isn't available where they're at, and you slowly become a social pariah that no one wants to invite on trips because sending or receiving money from you is really inconvenient. Then your family stops returning your calls and all of a sudden you see stories on Instagram of them on a trip to Turkey, which all your family was invited to except for you because they didn't want to have to deal with your weirdness and constant requests for them to download an app using your link so that both of you can get $5. This is what a bank getting banned from the SWIFT network is analogous to. It's that bad. More than 11,000 financial institutions in nearly 200 countries use SWIFT, with more than half of Russia's financial institutions being members of SWIFT. If not engineered well, the impact of cutting Russia off from the SWIFT network would be especially costly for both Russia and Europe, which receives 41% of its natural gas needs from Russia. And while it remains to be seen how the markets react to this news, since it happened over the weekend, my hunch is that the Russian banks that are to be cut off from SWIFT are 
selected in a way that chokes Russia out financially to the maximum extent possible without hurting the West's own interests in accessing Russian oil and gas and keeping energy prices under control. Thus far, and admittedly we're only a few days into the invasion, it seems the economic impact of Russia's invasion and the sanctions imposed as a result will be limited to a modest increase in inflation. This is obviously strictly from a financial perspective. I'm sure if you're in Ukraine right now, the event itself is rather painful and challenging. That said, on the bright side of things, events in Ukraine seem to confirm what I've thought all along about Russia's military, which is that it is massively overrated. Since the start of their aggression, the Russian military's progress has been rather underwhelming. Even though they've had all the time in the world to prepare, they are the ones that initiated this conflict and on paper should have been a cakewalk for them. However, as I've insisted many times, there is precious little evidence to support the idea of Russian military competence and recent events have added none. To me, the only thing it seemed they were good at is being a bully. However, Putin forgot the first rule of being a bully, which is to never actually get in a fight and expose how weak you actually are. After its loss in Ukraine, which I think is inevitable at this point, regardless of how long it takes or the extent of the human suffering Putin's military causes the Ukrainian population, Russia's ability to intimidate will be dramatically impaired, which is fundamentally a good thing for humanity in general and the Muslim populations in Russia's orbit in particular. The second topic from this week's rundown is the one that got the most likes from our community when I asked which topics they'd like me to address and this topic is, is gold a goodbye at this point? While the rest of asset prices were falling, gold was up about 6% in the last 30 days, reaching close to $2,000 per ounce at its high. This is consistent with what we know about gold being a risk-off asset that people flee to with their finances whenever panic sets in the markets. So, is it a good investment now? Well, if you have it in your portfolio as part of a long-term strategy, so you have, for example, 5% of your portfolio in gold and you just dollar cost average into it, then I think that's perfectly reasonable. However, if you think that it's a good time to buy now or park your money in gold now and maybe sell it in three to six months when there is less uncertainty, I don't think that's a really good trade for the simple reason that investing is about buying low and not high. Right now, gold is near the highest it's been in 20 years. I prefer to buy the assets that have fallen out of favor, but I think will be eventually rotated too, not the ones that are already in vogue. Therefore, buying gold makes more sense to me when greed is at an all-time high, not fear. That way, I'm always one step ahead of the market which is where you want to be as an investor. On this topic, I found this headline from CNBC when Russia invaded Ukraine in 2014. Ukraine fear sends investors into safe haven gold. At the time, gold touched $1,350 per ounce for the first time since October of 2013. Now, what did investors doing the fleeing to gold at that time get for their troubles? Well, in six months, the price of gold was around $1,100 per ounce or a loss of about 15%. 
Does this mean it's going to play out the same way this time around? Of course not. The Crimea takeover was basically without any fighting. This time around, the situation is much more serious. However, while history doesn't always repeat itself, it does tend to rhyme. That's my two cents, at least. Make sure to do your own due diligence before making any investment decisions. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Looking Back on the Week's Headlines. Don't forget to become a member to follow my investments. And until next time, make sure to take care of yourself. Assalamu alaikum and peace be upon you all.